Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to sunrise on this beautiful fall Sunday morning. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm filling in for uh, Dan Dupuy, our uh, fearless leader and in, in, uh, head worship pastor here uh, at Sunrise. Uh, and I'm happy to be here. Dan asked me to start off the service uh, by talking uh, very briefly about the book of Job. Uh, and if I'm being frank, I don't always love hearing about the book of Job, let alone talking about it. I think uh, growing up, going to church uh, in grade school, you would hear this story about a loyal follower of the Lord who seemingly in a way uh, was punished for it or was uh, put into a period of uh, decay and decline. And I think that's a hard thing to reconcile. Uh, I think it's a hard thing to find meaning or purpose in. Uh, but uh, I, as I'm sure many of you did, uh, was very captivated this morning driving in, seeing the colors of the leaves uh, changing on the tree, uh, especially as the sun was rising over. And it really was uh, so beautiful. Uh, and really what that is, right, obviously is a tree entering into a period of decay and decline. And we fawn over it and we think it's so beautiful. Um, and so I, I, I think we don't have to look far to find uh, beauty uh, or meaning in periods of decay uh, and decline. And obviously by the end of the story, uh, Job himself uh, finds much meaning uh, in the entire saga uh, that he walks through with the Lord. And I think he sums it up well uh, at the very end of uh, the book of Job, uh, chapter 42, verses 1 and 2. He says, uh, it says, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Um, and again, I think we can look uh, not too far and we can see a lot of purpose in periods and seasons of, of decline and decay and rest. Uh, and so as we enter into this time of worship, uh, as we uh, join here together on this beautiful fall day, uh, I just ask that you would uh, join me in a word of prayer. God, you are so good. Um, and your, your purpose and your intention is so beautiful and often beyond our own comprehension. Uh, we thank you for the blessing of the changing of the seasons, uh, for the purpose that each of them brings, uh, and for the fact that you brought us all safely here today. And we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you have to say and what you have to show us today, and that we would feel uh, the comfort of your presence. All this in your name we pray. Amen. All right, why don't you stand with us? We're going to worship. That surrounds me. Just one word, the darkness had to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes were open to see. I can't help but believe There's nothing that our God can do There's not a mountain that He can move Oh, praise the name that makes a way There's nothing that our God can do 
just one word You heal what's broken inside me Just one word And you revive every dream Just one touch I feel the power of heaven Just one touch we're open to see My heart can't help but believe There's nothing that our God can't It's not a mountain that He can move Oh, praise the name that makes a way There's nothing that our God can't do There's nothing that our God can't do It's not a prison wall He can't
Dear Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you for running after us every single day. Open our eyes to see your goodness, even when we face challenges and life is hard. Open our eyes to see that you are good every day. We love you. Bless the rest of this day and this message. Um, In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everybody. Excellent. So uh, we had a great chili cook-off last night, and the kids brought all the sweets. It was awesome. Uh, But in terms of chili, if you're a little too close to your neighbor, um, you can move during the meet and greet. We'll understand. So, All right. So my name is Byron. I'll be your host this morning. All right, so uh, we're glad you're here, and we'd like you to connect. If you happen to be new here this morning, I'm not going to sing the welcome song that I sang as a kid in a church basement. Someday I might, but not today. But there'll be a QR code that shows up there, and it's on the back of all the chairs. And uh, just get that baby uh, scanned and get connected with us. If you're online, thank you. Uh, Stay with us, make a comment, get connected. So... Thanks for being here this morning. Wine and theology, it's back. It's the fall. So uh, Kate Jansen is going to lead that at Hudsonville Grill tomorrow night, Monday night, wine and theology for the ladies. Sorry, guys. You'll get your turn in a few more weeks. Wine and theology, Monday night, Hudsonville Grill. Um, Hey, what time is it? What time is it? it? Seven. Thank you. Should have had that in my note. Okay, Thanksgiving food drive. Remember that from last year? I do. I went shopping. You'll get a chance to go shopping too. And we'll bring food here for local families that have challenges financially. And uh, so you'll hear more about that. Um, So we'll keep going on that. There there might be a shopping list even available today if you want to do some long-term shopping out at the Connect table. All right. It's Noah's favorite time of year, Halloween. But you didn't know that about Noah, but it's true. Uh, and they're going to have a Sunrise Student Halloween party coming up on October 26th, pretty close to All Hallows' Eve. Um, so dress up, be there, find out more from Tanner. All right? And don't forget the pop can drive. I know how much you hate going to those messy, stinky pop machines, so bring your cans and bottles here instead. And the Sunrise students will collect those and help fund next summer's fun. All right, three minutes for meet and greet. And after that, and and I think right now the kids can go ahead and move out and go have their fun out in the back. All right? So, thank you. Good morning, Sunrise. If we can find our way back to our seats, we'll get started. Uh, Today, joining us, we have Trisha. You might remember Trisha from last year, Advent, almost a year ago now. She joined us uh, with a whole panel of speakers from uh, from Kelvin. Uh, Now, you graduated Kelvin in May. Congratulations. Um, And now you are a chaplain 
Uh, so we're happy to have you back. Thank, Thank you for you. joining us. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Last year, <clears throat> I put my Bible on this music stand, and it promptly sunk, so I know not to do that this year. <laughs> I will be reading from 1 Kings 19, but in a few minutes. Um, so if you want to um, read along, I, you have some prep time. I'm just going to borrow this. <clears throat> Let's just begin with a word of prayer. Lord, to whom shall we go? Only you have the words of life eternal. Help us now to hear and obey what you say to us today. Through Christ our Lord, amen. To have the last word is to be in a position of power. Maybe you can think of an argument that you've been a part of where that position of giving in the last word was fought over. Maybe a fight with a spouse, a sibling, or a friend. The disagreement just continued and continued because each of you would not concede to the other having the last word. You see, having the last word is powerful. You control the narrative when you have the last word. There was a Lutheran pastor in Nazi Germany. His name was Martin Niemöller. And he, heard, he understood this concept well. You see, Reverend Niemöller initially was very supportive of the Nazi party. He loved his country. He had fought for it in World War I as the submarine commander. And he wanted to see his country thrive. However, he began to suspect that the voice of the Fuhrer was contrary to the voice of God. It was telling Christians in Germany to hate Jews, while God's voice was telling him to love his neighbor. And then there was the legislative voice that came down in the form of the Aryan paragraph. It demanded that all churches not permit anybody with Jewish descent to have a position of leadership in the church. And this just became untenable to the Reverend Niemöller. So he decided to use his voice for God. And he threw all of his pastoral authority behind preaching against the Nazi regime. Well, finally, it seemed that Hitler did have the last word because Niemöller was sentenced to Dachau in 1937. Hitler controlled that narrative until 1945 when an even more powerful voice arrived, that of the Allied forces. And Dachau was liberated in 45. 
Yeah. To have power is to have the last word. To have the last word is to control the narrative and even to control ideology. Our story this morning is about the prophets of Yahweh, including Elijah and Jezebel, queen to King Ahab. They were all engaged in this game of cat and mouse, a power struggle. Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of Sidon, and Ahab had married her for alliance reasons. And Jezebel worked hard to become a strong voice in Israel. And with that voice, pagan worship proliferated. Her voice controlled Israel's spiritual narrative. Sacred places for Baal and Asherah were built up, while the sacred places for God were torn down. And the prophets of Yahweh responded by voicing God's displeasure. And there ensues this tug of war for spiritual power in Israel. Jezebel responds by killing prophets of God until it seems to Elijah that very few are left, if any at all, but him. It seems to Elijah that Jezebel has had the last word. But then Elijah steps into prominence. And in the name of Yahweh, he declares a famine on the land. Now what's powerful about this voice is that Baal is presumably the god of rain. And he is worshipped so that crops will flourish. But famine does ensue by Elijah's word and seems to prove that Yahweh is more powerful than Baal. Is this the last word? No. More deaths and more worship of Baal and Asherah. And then there's that showdown on Mount Carmel where once and for all the power of God rains down and is revealed to the people. God rains down fire, and he leaves the people there absolutely mortified. This revelation of God's power just left soul-bending fear. Now, in the face of fear, people will either flee, they will freeze, or they will fight. The prophets of Baal, they get out, they, they flee. But yet, the people of Israel, they freeze and they fall prostrate before God. Well, Elijah harnesses that fear And they chase down the the prophets of Baal. And there ensues a fight in the Kishon Valley. And as fear ebbs away from Elijah at the end of that battle, he is left with human blood on his hands and on his sword. 
is this the final word? Elijah must have thought that the spiritual power struggle was over because he calls off that famine. A final act that God is more powerful than Baal. Not only can God stop the rain, he controls when it starts again. And I imagine that the boom heard in those thunderclouds must have sounded like the triumphant boom. Take that. Oh, the sweet final word. But then Elijah learns that Jezebel has not conceded the final word. She has taken the final word and has threatened Elijah's life and promises that he will be dead within a day's time. Emotionally spent, he senses his vulnerability and he flees, completely exposed and alone, gripped with fear again. He flees this time. He becomes a refugee from his own country. Sustained by nourishment from God, he runs all the way to Mount Horeb, the, the mountain of God, hoping for a word from God. And here's where we pick up our reading today. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. 
When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. I wonder, I wonder if Elijah feels that he has been abandoned by God. These miraculous works have left Elijah emotionally spent, perhaps even emotionally damaged. And yet he is left exposed and vulnerable to Jezebel's threats. I wonder if he could have been angry with God because it seems as if when it comes to protecting Elijah and protecting the prophets of Baal, God has been profoundly silent. They're all dead, and probably he will be also soon. God is silent to make a final and decisive strike against Jezebel and the reigning regime in Israel in order to save the lives of the prophets. Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament theologian. And regarding the work of biblical prophets and the political regimes during that time, he says this. Every dominant regime imagines itself to continue without disruption and takes steps to guarantee that continuation. And this is accomplished by the establishment of a monopoly of voice that limits what is said and that silences voices that are too dissonant from the claims of the regime. Jezebel claims that Baal is the god to depend on, but Elijah reveals that Baal's lack of power is significant. So his voice must be silenced, and his life is threatened. Controlling the narrative and silencing the people who oppose those in power are tactics still employed today. With the inception of the information age and the proliferation of media, there are many voices vying for that place of power in our society, working to form our cultures, and influencing our choices. Consider the political arena. Perhaps you've re recently watched the gubernatorial debate. It's interesting that in the debate format, efforts are taken to level that playing field for the last word. In debate, care is taken to equalize the voices by regulating who speaks, when they speak, and for how long they speak. There are opening statements, the answers, the rebuttals, and the final responses. 
the candidates' voices are attempting to control the narrative and promote their ideology. In many ways, there is this cacophony of voices continually vying for the last word, the last boom, hoping to make that lasting effect. And it all weighs on us terribly, just like it did Elijah. Fear, anger, abandonment leave us feeling disoriented, even within our families, our communities, our workplaces, our church homes. Having so many voices and opinions influencing us, we find ourselves in discord. In August of 2020, the online magazine called The Banner, it's the Christian Reform Denominational Magazine, they ran this series of articles entitled Hope for the Politically Homeless. Clearly, this was a response to a felt need of those in the church who dizzyingly don't know where they belong anymore. And Vincent Bacote, who is the author of The Political Disciple, and he was a contributor to this series, he said this, We in North America have been in a time of increasing ideological polarization for over a decade. Now intensified by a global pandemic and heightened attention to the long-standing problems of race, and then there is the U.S. election in November 2020. No one should be surprised if they feel like their head is spinning at times. The disruption, the disorientation is a real thing. But where is God in all of this disorientation? Why doesn't he act powerfully? Why doesn't he take the last word, setting everything straight, implementing his kingdom? And like Elijah, why is God content to leave his servant, the church, vulnerable? Why? Why is he silent? And Elijah asks the same question with his angry tirade with God. I have been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's saying, I don't get it. Why are you silent when I, your servant, feel disoriented and vulnerable. Why? Finally, at Horeb, God does answer him, and he teaches him three things in his answer. First, when God answers Elijah, his answer is not in the voice of a mighty wind or the voice of a fearsome earthquake or the voice of a roaring fire. He comes in a gentle whisper. Now, some versions of the Bible translate this as the deafening sound of silence. Indeed, the Hebrew word years used here is a rare Hebrew word, and it is often translated as silence. 
Ecclesiastes also speaks of silence when the wise teacher says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be silent and a time to speak. But we don't like silence. We much prefer when God speaks mightily. He spoke mightily with the raining down of fire on Mount Carmel. He spoke in the rain of blood in the Kishon Valley. And he spoke through his controlling the atmospheric rain. But right now, God chooses to use silence. And Elijah must choose to trust God in his silence as much as he trusts God in his mighty acts. With God's silence, Elijah is forced to open his ears and to listen intently so that God may be heard. My daughter's first grade teacher employed this tactic well. Her voice was so quiet, I found I could hardly hear her, and I really was afraid that those students, those little first graders, would just roll right over her. But it had the opposite effect. You see, her voice was so quiet that they had to lower their own voices so that they could hear their teacher. She simply refused to get into the habit of speaking over top of her students. And she demanded that they listen to her. You see, our omnipotent God does not need to enter to the fray of having the last word and displaying his power. He is not required to enter into the tit-for-tat with humans and human regimes. He doesn't need to display his power, even if we think it would make us feel more assured. With God, it does seem there are times to speak, and there are times to be silent. When God defines who he is to Moses in Exodus 3, he doesn't define himself by sight or sound. He simply says, I am. It is Moses who needs the proof of his being, a staff turning into a snake, or a diseased hand becoming clean. But God's silence, it is deafening, and it does speak. It tells Elijah about God being the supreme God. If Elijah would only listen well, Second, God reminds Elijah that he is the source of authority, which is given to ruling regimes. Whatever power people or leaders or groups or rulers think they have, it's because God allows them to have that power. He demonstrates this to Elijah by explaining that he has plans for Haziel, and Jehu to be the next kings of Aram and Israel, respectively. 
And Elisha is going to replace Elijah as prophet. God is quietly controlling who rises to power and who is dethroned from their power. Power is sourced from the omnipotent God. And God's will will be enacted through the powers he allows to reign on earth. He says, Jehu will put to death any who escapes the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. It seems that God doesn't need a voice to control the narrative because God is quietly creating the narrative according to his own will. And finally, God reassures Elijah's fears. He says, oh, by the way, (laughs) you aren't the only one left. Unbeknownst to you, I've been silently keeping 7,000 people faithful to me in Israel. Time and again in the Bible, we see that God always keeps a remnant with whom to work out his covenant plan, even when God is silent. He is still leading, providing, and sustaining his narrative of covenantally being God to the people, even when they don't keep his covenant. However, as Christians, we live under a new covenant, a new covenant in Jesus Christ. It was ordained in the New Testament with Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus himself actually used silence when he was questioned the night before his crucifixion. In his silence with Herod and his elusive answers with Pilate, he was quietly creating a narrative, not controlling it. And it was for a greater purpose, for our purpose, to invite us into a new covenant and a new repaired relationship with him. To accomplish this will of God, Jesus would suffer the ultimate silence, the abandonment of God, his Father. Like Elijah, God was silent with Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, his Father was silent to Jesus' prayer to take this cup of death away from him. And he sweat drops of blood. And then on the cross, his father was silent in full abandonment. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it was Jesus' hands who were covered with blood. And it was his side that had a sword run through it. Oh, the deafening sound of silence. Listen. Can you hear how much our Heavenly Father loves us? To save you and I from that kind of silence. And yet, 
we will still fear. We may even still feel abandoned by God. Why must we continue feeling alone and disoriented and unwanted? Because God is telling us, listen. It's time to listen. We can be confident that God is omnipotent and omniscient and faithful, even in silence. We can be confident that he is creating the narrative of his kingdom of God. So listen to what he is doing and what he is allowing right now. It is for his purpose somehow. And be assured that he always maintains and is with a remnant of those he has given faith, the church. And we do have the hope that he one day will have the last word. The Reverend Martin Niemöller referenced at the beginning, well, he has a well-known quote, and it alludes to the voices that have power. He wrote this, First, they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. It seemed that Martin Niemöller was finished when the powers finally overwhelmed him because there was no one there to care what happened to him. But he was eventually liberated politically, and it seems he was liberated spiritually as well. The Reverend Niemöller lived until 1984, speaking and teaching about all that he had learned about God, the ecumenical church, and our allegiance to God over all other earthly powers. Even in his silence, even in his silence to politically protect him, God was covenantally acting as his God, drawing Reverend Niemöller closer to him. God is always working out his narrative plan in your life as well. Let us pray. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you for always working in our life, even when we feel alone. We feel like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You don't seem to be anywhere near. God, foster trust in our hearts so that we Know that you are there even if we don't feel it. Holy Spirit, inspire us today. In your name, amen. We're going to enter now uh, back into a time of worship. Uh, And as we do, we're also uh, going to enter into a time of offering. You can see there are QR codes 
on the back of the chairs, and there's also a place uh, for you to drop your offering uh, back by the doors as well. When the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing in When I look at the space between Where I used to be And this reckoning I know I will never be alone It was another in the fire another in the waters holding back the sea should I ever need the mind now I've been set free it's across the bears that burn another died for me there's another in the fire why not you stay with us Be free. 
become a name, the space between all the things unseen and this reckoning. I know I will never be blessing as you go today. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body. May he keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it even if silent for a season. So go in peace in his confidence. Amen.